and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Good morning, Bent Tree. My name is Hal Hudson, and I am the student pastor here at Bent Tree. So welcome. Uh, so as student pastor, I'm going to do one thing with all of you that we do with our students almost every single week. So. If you have your Bible, can you please hold it up? Okay, we're looking at physical Bibles. Phone Bibles are nice, but not going to count for today. So we're going to hold our Bibles by the spine above our head. Okay, and then I'm going to say a passage. You're going to repeat that passage to me. And then I'm going to say charge. And then, Brer, you need to hold it by the spine like this, not open. Okay, I'm going to say charge. And then you're all going to go. And first one who gets there is going to stand up and they're going to read really loud because you don't have a microphone, okay? So you need to read this passage really loud, okay? It's called a sword drill, okay? So, here we go. Isaiah 53, 12. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. People weren't listening. People weren't listening. Bible's back up. Bible's above your head. Bible's above your head, okay? And now, Isaiah 53, 12. Charge. Okay, who's going to get there first? Okay, if you have it, stand up and read aloud, as loud as you can. Okay, good job, Annie. Okay, so now, thanks on behalf of Annie, bo- Annie and I both have had the opportunity this past semester to uh, work on our master's, and we've been in one class that is studying the person and the work of Jesus Christ, okay? And that topic is called Christology, which simply means the study of Christ, okay? So you have Christ and you have ology, so Christology, study of Christ. And within this class, we have been studying how the person and the work of Christ cannot be separated from one another. When looking at Christ uh, and who he is as a person, you cannot separate his nature from his works, from one another. You can't take the two apart because then you, you'd be uh, going into heresy and you would not grasp the full understanding of Christ if you are separating Christ from the person and his works. We have learned, been learning about this concept both in school and here at Bentry. Uh, yeah, and when looking at Scripture, and specifically Scripture that's pointing at the person of Christ, we come to different points in Scripture where it seems like we have two passages that contradict. Okay? And this would be a false either or. Okay? So, when we are, there are two statements that seemingly contradict... Uh, they instead do not, and they can both be true. And this term is called compatibilism. Okay, so compatibilism, it's a hard word as you can see. Compatibilism means two seemingly contradictory statements which both are in fact true. Okay, so often we call this both and. So it's not a false either or, so it's not one or the other, it's both and. The both and that I'm, we are going to be studying and walking through scripture today is Christ in his role as the great high priest. Christ is both the sacrifice and the sacrificer. 
Christ, while make, he's the one who makes the sacrifice and at the same time is the sacrifice. This seems contradictory. It seems like it, he only can be one or the other, but that would be a false either or. Christ is both and. Okay, so Christ, he came down as our savior and uh, this was his plan and it wasn't some backup plan that he made and that God made when things went south in Genesis 3. No, Christ coming down to be our high priest and our sacrifice was the whole plan. It was the one and only plan. Jesus came down to make a way for humanity to be restored back into a relationship with God. So when we look at the Old Testament, it's not some just random series of events that um, it's just one family tree's history and that they threw all together. No, it's It is God's plan of how he was going to send his son to restore, to have a relationship with humanity. The Old Testament is preparing a way for us to better understand, uh, better understand Christ within this context. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Christ as our great high priest and how Christ came down and fulfilled not only the priesthood established by Moses, but fulfilled the role of the high priest where the Levites, that's the family after Moses, and Adam, the first man, did fail. They failed in their role as high priest, and Christ is coming to fulfill that and fulfill that perfectly. So, please bow your heads with me in prayer before we jump into our text. Dear Lord, uh, I pray just that I will truly just be able to... um, Step aside and you speak through me. I pray that I will just stand behind the cross, Lord, and you you be shown and people see that your work on the cross and you resurrecting from the dead was all to bring, make it possible for us to have a relationship with you. I pray that you will uh, just guide me what to say and that your spirit will lead me. And in your name, amen. amen. So this morning our text was read for us today by... Uh, Pastor Paul, and uh, that was Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. So would you all please turn in your Bibles to Leviticus sixteen eleven? Okay, so I know you all are thinking, Pastor Hal, that's not the key passage for today, and that's not what was just read for us, and you're right, okay? But there is some much-needed background information that we need to go back and we need to understand and unpack before we arrive in the book of Hebrews. So Leviticus chapter 16, shows us how Yahweh made a way for the high priest to atone for first himself and then the nation of Israel. And before we get too far into scripture, there's one more term that I need to define for us. And that term is atonement. Okay, so atonement means to wipe away sins or remove sins. Okay, so atonement is to wipe away sins or remove sins. Atonement is the process of wiping away or removing our sins. Okay, so in one necessary ingredient, one component that cannot be removed from the process of atonement is blood. You cannot have atonement without the shedding of blood. If there is no blood, there would be no removal of sins. Okay, so in one sense, atonement is the payment for sins. Okay, so there's a bill. Okay, this life we're living is almost like, you know, going to a restaurant, you are given a bill at the end and you need to pay for it. And we need to pay the bill for our sins. And now Leviticus 
uh, 16 uh, is establishing that there's a different way to pay for sins other than our own personal blood. Okay, so Leviticus is a long and technical process uh, that Moses lays out. And I encourage, encourage all of you to go home and read through Leviticus 16. Okay, it lays out the Day of Atonement, which is the process for the nation of Israel to atone for their sins. And they do this once every single year. And uh, yeah, it's the high priest who goes and atones for the, for the nation and for their sin. He's wiping away the nation of Israel's sin for that year. So, Leviticus 16, verse 11. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. Okay, jump down to verse 15 with me. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering. That is, for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat, and in front of the mercy seat. Thus, he shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so, he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanliness." No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Okay, so that was a lot. Now, through that process, we see how God laid out a way for Aaron and all the high priests that would follow Aaron to follow this process of atoning and paying and removing the sin of Israel. The first step was not just to go in and uh, the high priest was to go and atone for the sin of Israel. No, the first step was for him to go and he needed to make a sacrifice for himself. He needed to remove the sin from his own life before he could go and remove the sin on behalf of someone else. So the high priest's sins needed to be atoned for before he could go and intercede on behalf of the nation. So Aaron the high priest in Leviticus 16, would first sacrifice a bull for himself, atoning for the sin for himself, and then the sins of everyone else in his household. Then, after he's already cleared the sins of himself, Aaron would go and atone for the sin of the nation of Israel. So at the end of verse 17, it says, has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Aaron first needs to atone for his own sins before he is able to make atonement for all the assembly of Israel. Another important piece of background information, this comes, Leviticus 16 comes right after Aaron's sons did not follow the proper process for going to the Lord. And the Lord struck them dead. So Aaron knows very well that if he doesn't follow procedure well, and if he does something wrong, and if he doesn't first atone for his sins, that he could die. And the Lord won't hesitate to kill the high priest for doing something poorly and trying to intercede on behalf of the nation while still having sin in their own life. So this, okay, is very complex, and you're wondering, that just has to do with Israel. Why do we need to understand the process of atonement. 
Well, it's because Christ's death on the cross was done in order to pay for our sins, in order to atone for our sins. Okay, so how would the payment of sin work if there had never been any payment of sins before now? So if Christ went to the cross and there is no process of uh, people paying for sins before Christ, then no one would, it just wouldn't make sense. It'd be like, well, you're just kind of making things up as you go. Like, what do you mean you can now pay for sins with, with blood? But now, in Scripture, it's establishing, here's the process for paying for sins. And that's what Leviticus 16 is doing for the people of Israel. And for us as Christians, looking back, that we know that sins need to be atoned for. Someone has to pay the price for sins that are committed by humanity. Okay, so Leviticus 16 sets up the process of atonement and the legal process of paying for sins. Okay, so now we're going to jump, we're going to transition, we're making our way through Scripture to where we have Christ as the great high priest. So we're going to take a, we're going to turn just one or two pages over to Psalm 110, okay, verse 4. It's more than one or two pages. Follow along with me. Well, wait, just one minute. I'm going to get some water while you are turning. Okay. Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It is here that this Messianic Psalm is saying that Christ is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek's first appearance, we would have to go back to Genesis 14, where we see that Melchizedek is addressed as the as the great high priest. Okay? So Melchizedek is a high priest. And he was a high priest to Abraham. Okay? So Abraham is before the is well before Aaron and Moses, several hundred years before. So here we have a high priest that is greater than Aaron and all the Levites. So the Levites, I kind of hinted at this before, is uh, from Levi, uh, one of Jacob's sons, and everyone from that tribe of Israel were dedicated to the Lord. So when we refer to Aaron and the priests that would have followed him, they would have all been Levites. So that is the Levitical priesthood. So if you were a Levite, you were a priest. God had set aside the Levites to serve him. Melchizedek and Christ are both divinely appointed by God to be the great high priest. Okay, so we see that Christ, Jesus, is not coming from the tribe of Levi. He's coming from the tribe of Judah. So he's not part of the Levitical priesthood, but instead he's been divinely appointed by God. He's a part of uh, the order of Melchizedek. So he's coming after Melchizedek, who was a high priest for God, and now Christ is the greater high priest. So this shows us that there is a greater high priest other than Aaron, other than the priesthood after Aaron. Okay, another important factor is Melchizedek is a priest and king. Okay, Jesus is also a priest and a king. So Melchizedek, when we see Melchizedek in scripture, he is pointing towards Christ. Okay, he, yeah, Melchizedek is pointing towards Christ. So, Jesus comes and he is after the order of Melchizedek. 
Okay, and Psalm 110 establishes that. Now we're going to move on to Isaiah 53.12, where I had you all race and to see who would get there first a little bit ago. Okay, so Isaiah 53.12 says, Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. To death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53, this one verse, Isaiah 53, 12, is also saying a lot. We know that Christ will suffer and that he will die on the cross. And what Isaiah here is pointing to is at the end of the verse. That is that um, he bore the sin of many and he makes intercession for the transgressors. Christ intercedes for the transgressors. Christ intercedes for those who have sinned against God. Interceding means that someone is going on behalf or on your behalf. So for example, if you were, go to, if you were to go to a restaurant, so let's just say Texas Roadhouse. You go to Texas Roadhouse, you sit down, your waiter comes to you and you say, yeah, I would like a steak. That your waiter then is going to go on your behalf and she's going to go to the kitchen. She or he doesn't need to be a girl. Um, your waiter will go to the kitchen and they will tell the kitchen, hey, my table, they want a steak. And then the kitchen will make, their, make you a steak and then your waiter will come back and bring that steak to your table. Then you'll sit there and you'll eat it. Okay? You had no direct conversation with whoever is in the kitchen making your steak. The waiter went on your behalf, ordered your steak, and then brought that steak out to you. So you had no interaction with the people in the kitchen. So in one sense, the waiter was interceding for you on your behalf on what you wanted to eat and how well or um, not well done you wanted your steak. Okay, so here we see that Christ, he goes on our behalf, but not to order a steak, okay? Very, very different analogies here. Christ is going on our behalf and he has gone, already gone on our behalf to pay for our sins. Christ has made a sacrifice and he paid for our sins. Now, Christ will call us into a relationship with him. And when he does, he will go to the Father, Father and intercede for us on our behalf. So Christ's payment for sins is sufficient for all who will come to know him. Christ is the mediator between God and man. Okay. So we've established Christ is the high priest. Christ is mediator and he's interceding on our behalf. Now we can finally get to the point in our today without, I'm going to start my sermon in Hebrews 9. So we can all turn to Hebrews 9 and I can start preaching. Just kidding. Um, just a little joke. Okay. And it is here in Hebrews 9, that the author of Hebrews is making the distinct connection between Jesus and the high priest in Leviticus 16. The author is bringing everything together. Hebrews, when you, I'd also encourage you, read through Leviticus 16 in, in its entirety. And 
while you're at it, Leviticus 17, and then also go ahead and read through Hebrews 9, or just the entire book of Hebrews in its entirety, because the author of Hebrews is really bringing all of Scripture together and showing where in Scripture it's pointing towards Christ and really utilizing the Old Testament and how it's pointing to Christ a lot. So, Hebrews 9, uh, starting in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, and through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Okay, so at the beginning of verse 11, it says that Christ went through a greater and more perfect tent. Christ, he, after he made his sacrifice, he, uh, he did not go into the temple or enter the tabernacle as the high priest would have done. But instead, Christ went to the true holy of holies. Christ would have went before the Father. Okay, so the blood... So Christ went before the Father into the true place, the heavenly place. And the blood that Christ is using to atone is not the blood of any animal, but instead that is the true blood of Christ. This blood, the blood of the person making the sacrifice. Okay, so the sacrifice and the the sacrificer's own blood uh, being the sacrifice for humanity. And this blood is the blood that is able to atone for our sins. And the only way that his blood was able to atone goes back to Leviticus 16. Before the high priest, so Leviticus 16 established that you can use blood to atone for sins. Before the high priest could atone for the sin of the nation of Israel, he would also have to first atone for his own sins of himself and his family. Okay, it's also important to note that Christ was sinless. He was without blemish. Christ did not need to first atone for himself before he could atone for humanity. But instead, Christ was able to just atone for humanity and on our behalf right away. His blood was enough to pay for the sins of all those who will come to know him. Christ, acting as the great high priest, is able to go on behalf of all that have come to know him. Those that will come to know him and everyone that has already and future will come to know Christ. Christ has already gone to start interceding and is continually interceding on behalf of their sins. Okay, look with me at verses 13 and 14 of Hebrews 9. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Here the question is being raised that if goats and bulls pay for the sanctification, how much more will the blood of Christ? Christ's blood is infinitely more powerful than the blood of goats and bulls. His blood, Christ's blood, is able to atone for sins. Okay, it's able to atone for human sins. Now that raises another important question. Okay, 
did the sacrifices that the people of Israel made, so what the sacrifices laid out in Leviticus 16, did those sacrifices atone for the sins of Israel? Okay, well, we need to jump down to Hebrews 10.4, and it gives us the answer. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The animal sacrifices that the high priests of Israel would make would not atone for their sins. The Old Testament sacrifices are what is known as a type. Okay, And a type is this. A type is a theme that can be traced through Scripture, bringing both the Old and the New Testaments together over one specific theme. Okay, We see this often with Christ. Okay, So in the Old Testament, in passages like Leviticus 16, and the sacrifices that are being made are not atoning for any sins. They're instead pointing towards Christ in his sacrifice on the cross. Because it's Christ's sacrifice on the cross that actually will atone for sins, not the blood of any, any bulls or goats. Hebrews 10.1 calls these a shadow of the things to come. So when we look at Leviticus 16, we see a type and shadow. Leviticus is not teaching us how our sins can be atoned for. It is instead pointing forward to the coming Messiah. And that his atonement, his blood, his sacrifice is the true atonement for sins. As Hebrews 10.4 shows us, it is impossible for the blood of animals to take away our sins. The Old Testament sacrifices are all pointing toward Christ. So it is there to uh, help us understand and establish that there is a legal substitution system. Okay, so God allows for blood to be atoned for and blood to be paid to pay for our sins. Romans 6.23, okay, the Apostle Paul writes that the wages of sin is death. Okay, and I've talked about this before. Our sin will only bring us death. If it was just up to the law and our sin, we would only have death. The Old Testament substitution system establishes what it, what it took to pay for sins. It is also important to note that the sacrificial system laid out in Leviticus is not a one-time thing. The people of Israel would have to go and make atonement for their sins every single year. Every single year, the high priest would go through and, do, and make the sacrifices for the Day of Atonement. The people of Israel needed to atone for their sins every year. Their sacrifices were truly not enough to pay for their sins. But Christ's sacrifice is. Christ only died on the cross once. His one sacrifice was enough to pay for all of our sins. Okay? Hebrews 9, looking back at the verses, uh, 9, 9, 13 uh, through 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The blood of animals was never sufficient to truly pay for sins. Hebrews is showing us that the sacrifices of the Old Testament were pointing towards Christ's future sacrifices. So another question is raised. So if the blood of animals did not pay for the, for the sins of the people of the Old Testament, 
How were people in the Old Testament saved? Well, turn back with me to Romans uh, 4, 3 through 5. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Salvation in the Old Testament is due to their faith. Their faith in a God who can turn death into life. Abraham's faith is seen when he first followed God to a land that God would lead him. Okay, And his faith is seen again when he goes to sacrifice his son Isaac. Abraham went to go sacrifice his son Isaac to Yahweh because he knew that Yahweh was a God who could turn death into life. The faith that members of the faith share is in Yahweh. And that Yahweh could turn death into life. That he can take their sins, their dead self, and turn that into life. It is through the blood of Christ that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, that their sins have been paid for. It is through the same blood of Christ that our sins have been paid for. Just as everyone in the Old Testament who is a member of the body of Christ The same blood that paid for their sins is the same blood that has paid for ours. Okay. So now, coming back together to Christ as our great high priest. Okay, the connection is here in verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from their transgressions committed Under the first covenant. Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. And not just the covenant between Yahweh and Moses. No, Christ has fulfilled all covenants. So Christ has fulfilled the covenant uh, with Adam, with Noah, with Moses, okay, with David. And then going back, the covenant that Christ Christ made with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The, co- the first covenant, Christ has fulfilled all of those covenants through his death on the cross. Christ's death being the sacrifice for our sins, and then Christ then taking that sacrifice and being the mediator on behalf of humanity. It seems that Christ can only be the sacrifice for sins, or he can only be the mediator. Okay? That is not true. That is a false either or. And this is compatibilism coming into play. Christ is both. Christ is both our sacrificial lamb as well as our great high priest. Christ is actually the only person who is able to be the mediator between God and man. Okay? No other person could intercede on behalf of humanity. So Christ is fully God and fully man. Okay? This also doesn't seem to make sense. Okay, how can someone be 100% God and 100% man? That'd be 200% Jesus. Okay? So it's not an either or. It's both. We have two seemingly contradictory points about the nature of Christ. That instead of them contradicting, it's both. And that is orthodoxy. That is what the Christian church has believed for thousands of years. 
Okay? So Christ is both God and man. And as one can think, this did become a problem in the early church. And we saw this, the early church, they had councils and they would discuss theological issues and they would often come out with a creed or they would say, here is this specific thing. And the Council of Chalcedon, they established language of truly God and truly man. Because they were falling into trouble when they would say, okay, here's 200% Jesus. So how's that making sense? It's not. So they established that God is both, that it's both in. Jesus is truly God and truly man. By articulating that Christ is truly God and truly man, we're not confusing God and fully, fully God and fully man. We aren't dealing with 200% Jesus. We're dealing with Jesus who's truly God and truly man. Having a clear understanding of who Christ is and his nature helps us to stay true to Christianity. If we compromise our understanding or what we believe of Christ at all, we are missing Christ for who he truly is. It is only Christ that's truly God and truly man that he can possibly intercede on behalf of humanity. Christ is the only person who can mediate between God and humanity. Because Christ is, by being truly God, he can go to God the Father. And he can talk to the Father on our behalf. And he can come to humanity and talk to us on our behalf because he's truly human. He's both and. Okay? So now, where does that bring us? Where does this all, where does Christ as the great high priest and him going to the Father on our behalf lead us? Okay, so turn with me to Revelation 5, 2 through 6. Revelation 5, 2 through 6 says this. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures And among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Here we see that Christ is the only one who is able to open the scroll. He's the only one worthy. He's the only one who made a worthy sacrifice that could be accepted to to pay for our sins. That scroll and all the names that it contained, uh, those names are in the book of life. So everyone who would come to know Christ as their savior, as the one who is interceding on their behalf and the one whose sacrifice was enough to pay for their sins. And this scroll isn't something that Christ hurriedly finishes right at the end of time and then seals it up and then he goes and hides. No, this scroll was written before time began. Christ knew exactly who, who he was going to die for, whose he knew each person whose his blood was going to pay the price for their sin. If it wasn't for Christ's sacrifice and continued intercession on our behalf, we would not have any hope in eternal life. Wow. 
Our sins would still be our sins. It is Christ interceding on our behalf that our salvation is secure. Christ is there next to the Father to speak on our behalf. He's the one who's going to the Father and uh, saying, hey, I paid my death, my blood paid for their sins. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you so much for just the work uh, the work that you've done and everything you've done, Lord, just leading up to uh, your death on the cross. You sent your son to die and you created a way for us to have a relationship with you by believing in him that our, our sins have been paid for, that his blood has atoned for our sins, Lord. Thank you uh, for that. I pray just... If someone is struggling or if anyone is wondering uh, if you are truly Lord and if your sins really have paid for our, if your death has truly paid for our sins, Lord, I pray that you will just uh, work on their hearts and bring them to know you and uh, yeah, that you will help us as we look at your son and who you are and all that you've done in our life that we will think of think of you and how you are continually interceding on our behalf. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.